1: All right, guys, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Jay Louder. He's the founder of Jay Louder Harvest Ministries. And from their site, I'm actually going to read this, what they do. The life, death, resurrection, and message of Jesus Christ is a centerpiece of all of our outreach efforts. We are committed to utilizing innovative, creative, and non-traditional approaches to have the greatest impact and influence upon diverse groups of people. For over two decades, Jay Louder Harvest Ministries has drawn the masses to Christ through live events, training, television, and crusades. And one- kind of major through point and cornerstone of his ministry is focusing on suicide prevention. And today we, we didn't have all the time in the world. There was a whole lot of other topics I would have loved to have gotten into, but we went deep on the issue of suicide and even specifically men and suicide. So we've talked about that several times on the show, you know, even here, not that long ago, Sarah Wilkinson came on to talk about her story with her husband, Chad. Well, we've talked about, you know, remember my foxhole Landon taking his own life. And so we, we've certainly talked about it quite a bit on this show, but it's something that bears repeating. And in this show, we get really grand granular because jay at one point had a pistol to his temple and he was going to take it all right and and you know it reminded me of uh, chad show who the first time he was on the show he talked about that as well and how you know some interesting circumstances led him to not taking his own life and so we get really really granular on the show we talk about his history and kind of what brought him to that point some warning signs for all of us to be looking for, like, should you ask people, because there are people that think you shouldn't ask people if they're feeling suicidal, because it might lead them to suicide. So should you ask people and spoiler alert? Yes, you should have that conversation with people. But then we talked about, you know, uh, depression and suicide. And is all of that a mental health issue? Or is it something that some people could just fix with, you know, getting some rest and, and you know, going to, going and I don't know, just taking care of their bodies more like going and working out and, in and eating right and things like that. We talked about the disease model and is it always good to talk about things in terms of a disease model? And again, I wanted to talk about a whole bunch of other things today, but this is just kind of where, where we landed on. And in the time we had, I just wanted to talk as much about that subject matter as possible. It's a very, very important subject matter and also a very, very important interview. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Jay louder. Welcome to undaunted life of man's podcast.
0: Man, good to be with you today.
1: So I want to start out, uh, again, I'm not really known for easing into uh, a lot of the things that I talk about. And certainly with interviews, I like to do some introductions and blah, 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 things like that. Obviously, I talked about you a little bit in the intro, but I want to get right to the meat of a lot of the stuff that you do uh, in terms of your ministry now. And it has to do a lot with suicide and suicide prevention. And so we've had some people on the show this year that have had direct experience with suicide. It's something that I've talked about on the show before. But my understanding is that you were very up close and personal with that particular subject matter, because at one point Point in your life. You had a gun to your head. So let's start there and then we'll back into the rest of the stuff you're doing now.
0: Yeah, man. Well, that's it's, it's hard to start there because there's a lot that led up to it. But if you're wanting to get straight to where I ended up, man, I was 21 years of age living in an $80 a month rent house with a buddy of mine, um, no job, no car, no girlfriend. Uh, I had all that, but I had lost it. And uh, 21 years of age, man, that was a big loss. And so uh, fighting a lot of hopelessness, depression. I grew up in a successful home. Father was a successful businessman. The expectations for me were high. And here I end up at just man skid row big time. And, uh, I just felt like there was no other option. I, I didn't know where else to turn. I didn't know what else to do. And so uh, I took out a, a pistol, uh, underneath the sofa. That was my bed and, uh, decided to, to end it all. And, uh, Man, through a miraculous series of events, my, my life was, was spared. But I'd been struggling with suicidal tendencies um, for years. And quite honestly, even though it's not popular, say even struggle with it a little bit at some other seasons after I became a believer.
1: So let's, let's talk a little bit because you, you mentioned it a little bit there, but there's a stigma that's often associated with depression and mental health issues. And I want to provide a little bit of a caveat. You know, we live in the most medicated, doped up uh, society in, in human history. And yet, you know, depression is through the roof, mental health issues are through the roof. And basically, if you're a kid below the age of 18, and you don't have some sort of intersectional box you can check or some sort of a mental issue, you're the weirdo now. And so I think a lot of it is a little bit fabricated. And it takes a lot of the focus and attention away from people that really do have have honest-to-goodness struggles with depression and mental health issues. But talk to me a little bit about the stigma about especially men and then on into men of faith having these type of actual struggles.
0: Well, I think there's several reasons for that, and I think there are several contributing factors. First of all, a lot of people in in the age that I grew up in, if you had mental health issues or depression, that just meant that you weren't praying hard enough. That just meant that your faith wasn't strong enough. And so there are a lot of people that still hold to that thought process. And matter of fact, uh, we'll tell people that which only creates uh, a bigger problem than was already there. Because as if you didn't feel inadequate enough already and insufficient enough already, now you're being told that, uh, you know, your faith's not good enough. So it's a horrible thing to say. So I, I think that plays a role into it. There's a segment of the Christian population that believes if you know Jesus You shouldn't be sick. You shouldn't have mental health issues. And if you do, the truth of it is, you're to blame for it. Now, that's not true. I mean, you wouldn't say that, uh, I'll, I'll use COVID. You wouldn't say to somebody that had COVID, well, man, you have COVID because your faith isn't strong enough. You have COVID because you didn't pray enough. No one would say that or the flu or any other ailment. But when it comes to mental health issues, people tend to categorize that. And then there's a whole other element to that where a lot of people Especially men. I mean, let us let, back up here. First of all, men don't even like to admit uh, ask for directions because men don't like to admit that they need help, and so men are even less likely to admit when there's mental health issues. And let's be let's just be real today. You're really going to be uh, unlikely to do so in church because the truth of it is, while church is supposed to be a place that you can be real and be transparent oftentimes it's a place you're going to be judged worse than any other. So there's several different tentacles and avenues that kind of play into this, part of it being the inability to be real at church, part of it into the condemnation that comes from church people, part of it a lack of education from understanding um, that mental health, people that really do struggle with mental health issues, that it's a sickness not unlike the flu or anything else.
1: So to kind of go back to a point you were making about how people of faith or if they assume that you have faith, that it to a degree makes you immune to suicidal thoughts or depression or anything like that, uh, I certainly don't subscribe to that. But it would seem that if you do have a faith background, you have a different level of understanding about how you can get well. So it's kind of the thing you've heard a lot of people talk about Christian art or Christian music or Christian film or anything like that. It's some of the worst stuff out there. And it shouldn't be because Christians should understand the beauty and grandeur Uh, of creation through a different lens because they believe in the triune God. So I think that's maybe where some of these people are coming from, but it doesn't quite come out that way because they themselves don't struggle with it. And so it's like, you know, well, I don't struggle with it. So you shouldn't either. You should just have more faith. But I guess talk to me a little bit about that because that's what a lot of people have gotten whenever they have any type of life problem is, Hey, you just need to have more faith when it's like, Hey, you know, I have enough faith, but can you help me change my tire? Like it's one of those types of situations.
0: Well, First of all, it's it's delusional, even though a lot of people think that just because you know Jesus, that you're immune to anything because you're not. Matter of fact, if you think you're immune to having an affair on your wife, you're not. If you think you're immune to sickness, you're not. If you think you're immune to pride, you're not. Now, you made a great statement in the fact that if you do know Jesus, you do have a stronger base. You have a connectivity. You have an ability to overcome things that the average guy doesn't have the ability to overcome. You have, you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, which enables you to deal with things in a better, stronger way than maybe uh, the average man doesn't, because you don't have that connectivity with Christ. But that doesn't mean that just because you have the connectivity with Christ that you're immune. I mean, it's real easy to praise God and talk about what a healing, forgiving, good God He is until the rugs. Uh, drug underneath your feet. My daughter uh, never been sick a day in her life, never had a health issue, never went to the hospital from the day she was born. And about three years ago at 18 years of age with no health issues whatsoever, contracts an incurable disease and ends up in the hospital six months straight, literally barely living. I mean, in ICU, somebody that's never been sick a day in their life. And and I thought, well, hey, man, you know, I mean, I'm a man. I travel all over the world telling people about Jesus. We She had literally, literally tens and tens and tens of thousands of people praying for her. And I went through a season of going, God, where are you? I mean, I know you. You are my God. No doubt about it. I'm a believer. No doubt about it. I came to Christ at 21 years of age. And So why are you not delivering? Why is my daughter getting worse? Why does my daughter have an incurable disease? Why does my daughter, who's been the picture of health and played competitive volleyball, have heart and lung damage? So the point that I'm making is, is that yes, we do have access to a mighty God, and there are times that God does miraculously heal people, deliver them from addictions, the list goes on and on. But it doesn't mean that just because you do know Christ that you won't struggle or that your recovery slash healing will be immediate.
1: I appreciate that, that perspective. One thing that's interesting that I'd like to get into a little bit more because I had never really thought about it, Jay, until earlier this year, there was a pastor who has a ministry and he was basically talking about the problem with most 12 step uh, programs, even the ones that purport to be Christian 12 step programs and finding your identity in, you know, your addiction or some, in some cases, not even addiction, finding your identity in this physical compulsion to drink alcohol or, or, you know, do drugs or have sex with random people or something like that. And then we had the, the guys on, uh, Adam Comeron from S2L Recovery. And they run one of the most successful recovery programs on the planet that is actually biblically based where you don't identify as, hi, I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. It's like, hi, I'm John and I'm saved by the blood of the lamb. And, and you kind of, you operate from that. And well, what a lot of these people have said, and again, I hadn't really thought about until this year, but it's been a paradigm shift for me, is not talking about this as if it's a disease, not talking about this as if it's, and thanks for mentioning COVID, by the way, now no one's ever gonna see this episode because it's gonna be you know thrown away by all the, uh, all the algorithms. But it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not the same thing as as the flu or as strep throat or as something else. It is something that can be controlled in a different way than something like that, that does require medicine to a degree to get better. So talk to me a little bit about the, the I guess, disputatiousness around uh, calling it the disease, disease or using the disease model when a lot of people would say you don't need to?
0: Well, I mean, man, I can I, I mean, honestly, it almost, it, it frustrates me to, to even go down this path. Let me back up a little bit. My wife, I'll, I'll use my wife as an example. My wife has never taken any, never in her life taken any medication after the birth of our third child. Um, And man, I don't understand the genetic makeup of women, but serotonin levels and all this stuff got out of whack. And my wife was having a very difficult time mentally after our third child, never had a mental issue in her life, solid as a rock. And I came home from work one day and you've heard the proverbial saying, uh, don't cry over spilled milk. One of my children had spilled milk on a hardwood floor. No big deal. You can throw a towel on and wipe it up. I walked in from work. My wife is on her knees sobbing because one of my children spilled milk on the floor. Now, that's when I knew something is wrong. My wife has always been very stable. My wife has never had mental health issues. And I said, listen, I knew something was going on, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And so my wife um, went to her position and got on medication. She's been on medication ever since. So, you know, I'm not the guy, for those people, and you know, I, I'm I'm not the guy to get into a discussion about the reality of whether or not it's a sickness or whether it's it's an ailment. All I know is the Center for Disease Control says that it's the number one ailment in the world. All I know is I've spent 20 years talking to every race, color, creed, every age group imaginable. I've spent my life. I've spoken to millions and millions of people, and to think that these people are somehow living a mirage or delusional about their mental health issues to me is preposterous.
1: So I don't know if it's necessarily a mirage, but you you did bring up as well. uh, It's almost like where people with mental issues, like I've said, even for the younger generation, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like an accessory that they can have. Like, oh, I've got this issue that I'm medicated for. But to talk about the, the medication issue as well, there's someone in my life that's very, very close to me. Um, Pat was going through a little bit of a rough patch and had probably a two or three minute long discussion with a doctor and the doctor uh, prescribed this person Zoloft without any discussion of potential drawbacks, without any discussion about, you know, the the term of this. And it was described to this person's significant other. They were just like, yeah, you know, it's just going to be this short-term thing. And by short-term, they meant six months, meaning, hey, let's be on this medication for six months and then let's just see where we're at. And then it's like, did nobody, was nobody there with this person? Did nobody help them maybe discuss this? It's almost like, you know, a lot of these MDs, they they have to get you out of the door in six or seven minutes. And so it's just easier to go ahead and write the prescription and deal with whatever other nonsense happens later down the road, six months from now, whenever they got to put you on a different one or change your doshas or move this around. And we default to doing things like that as opposed to a lot of a lot of data shows that if people work out vigorously and eat right and get sleep, it can take a care of uh, numerous ailments, whether mental or physical. But you don't see doctors prescribing ninety days of clean eating and working out hard. So talk to me a little bit about that as well, because I know that medication has helped people, but man, it, it really it's really cumbersome to me, and it really. I get really, really scared, especially when kids are put on these SSRIs and we don't have any of the long-term data for that child as if it's going to solve their issue. I'm not
0: saying that that, that that's a dispute. Certainly there are some people that maybe could change their diet, their sleep habits, but for those people that try to categorize everybody in that category, it, it's so completely wrong. I mean, and 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 this analogy that you gave of this certain person, that wasn't our experience. So we didn't go in and yeah. some doctor just threw a bottle of pills at us. So I'm not saying that doesn't happen either. But again, to put into a category, well, man, listen, I, I'm just gonna get more sleep, I'm gonna pray more, go to church more often, read my Bible more, and I'm gonna be fine and dandy. Um and that may happen I mean I've got a friend I've got I've got a friend right now that uh, that uh, was on hardcore drugs for years he got saved gave his life to Christ was immediate delivered I mean man walked away cold turkey never had another desire for drugs not a day in his life I know another guy who's been very influential in my life uh, a businessman quite frankly that helped get our ministry started had it not have been for him we would have never even got going he was uh, an oil man who made a lot of money <coughs> and he snorted a lot of cocaine and he met Jesus and he got free and he was free about two years and then he fell back in. And this went on and on for years. He'd, he'd get clean and he'd stay clean for a while and then a trigger would take place and then he'd fall back in and he struggled his whole life. I don't know anybody that I'm more certain of their salvation experience than I am this businessman. Now, Jay, where are you going with all this? Where I'm going is, is that, there are some people that may be able to change their sleep habits and their eat habits and that may be all that it takes there are other people that need medication there are some people that get healed instantaneously there are some people that i'm sure got my daughter's disease that she's getting a 30 something thousand dollar shot for every single month and they prayed it away but we can't say that because even jesus man look at when he healed the blind people I mean, Jesus had the ability in one case to spit on uh, and make some mud and put it on somebody else's eyes. And then he can speak to someone else and says, have your vision. We can't just put Jesus in a box or healing in a box and say, well, because I'm going to make my experience empirical. That may have been that person's experience with medication. It doesn't mean it's everybody else's. The person who was instantaneously healed can't say, well, if you serve the same God that I serve, since I got healed instantaneously, you should. It doesn't work that way. So mean, I'm,
1: I'm glad. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you actually brought up the instantaneous healing thing. Um, so let, let's just use the example that you use. So somebody that's, you know, hardcore drug user, and then uh, they get saved and all of a sudden they're they're literally delivered from that. And there's no better word to use. Why, why do you think that is? Because what I've told people before because, you know, people that are maybe outside the faith that they don't really understand. They're like, well, I know Christians that struggle. Like, you know, you made me think of Johnny Cash. Like people watch Walk the Line and they think, oh, Johnny Cash was delivered from, you know, uh, using amphetamines and he didn't struggle with it the rest of his life because he married June. And it's like, no, he struggled literally until the day he died off and on with using, you know, amphetamines and other drugs. It was something that he could never be fully delivered from. But then there are those people that literally die, you know, with a needle in their arm and they float over their body and then they zoop, come back and then they never touch this stuff. And what I've told people is it's like, you know, God will remove the things from you that you cannot control, you know, for his glory, but then God will also allow people to struggle for his glory. Because it's like, if you have to struggle with substance abuse or something like that, you can minister to somebody that's struggling with substance abuse in a way more uh, integral way than a guy like me that never has. That's just kind of where I go with it. So if someone were to ask you that, like, why does he deliver some people completely and not others? What would you say?
0: Man, I wish I knew the answer for that, because there is no answer. I mean, we've got a staff member right now that, uh, literally a week ago, their grandbaby lived three days and died. There are other people; their grandbaby had the same problem in some other hospital that are also, and she is one of the godliest. I love her like a like a family member. And yeah. she's devastated. She's down the hallway. She's devastated. And she's asking that same question. Why did God not spare us? Why, why when the hurricane goes through, does, is one house spared and the other one's not? Why is one person healed instantaneously and one person is not? I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm, I, it's way out of my uh, pay grade to try to understand why God does the things that he does. But one thing I do know, and I think it's the more important aspect, is what you mentioned that God allows people to go through things so that they can be a catalyst to impact other people. I truly believe that the enemy brought uh, suicide against me. I think in some capacity, the enemy might have known what I was going to do with my life. And the enemy wanted to stop me from doing that. And what the enemy doesn't realize, or he does now that the very thing that he brought against me to destroy me is now the very thing that God has used all over the world to steal people from his kingdom because my suicide story has been something that has enabled me to connect with people that otherwise I would have never been able to connect with. And so God has taken what the enemy brought against me and used it as an incredible tool for me to help literally thousands and thousands of people that have struggled with suicidal tendencies. And I think at the end of the day, there's a component where God allows, God uses broken people, man. Look at Genesis to Revelation. The people that you and I respect in the scriptures are the people that have been through hell and back. And not only that, but the people that have made bad mistakes. There's guys watching this podcast going, God could never use me, man. I've committed murder, adultery. Well, so did David. And so God allows people to go through things so that he can use them to relate to other people who are going through the same thing. I liken it to the, I, I always like to reference, you remember when David fought Goliath. To me, the most insulting part of the whole battle was not that David defeated Goliath. It was that the weapon that was brought against David was then put in David's hand to cut off Goliath's head. And I think that's what's happened in my life. The enemy, the weapon that he brought wasn't a sword, it was suicide. But God ended up putting it in my hand to cut off the head of the enemy to help other people who are struggling with it. I think to sit around all day and wonder why God does anything is futile because no one knows. His ways are, uh, it's an understatement to say they're mysterious. They're perplexing. I still don't understand a lot of things that have gone on in my life. But what I do understand is this, God is a good God and he allows me to go through trials in order to help other people.
1: Yeah, I've tried to encourage men to kind of stay in the pocket. I, I I kind of caught myself, Jay, a few months ago, wondering what heaven would be like. And then I just kind of like, stop, stop. You have no idea. In my wildest imagination, I can't even fathom it. How about I deal with the stuff that's happening right now around me as opposed to spending all day in the daydreams. But I do want to talk specifically about suicide and suicidality and how it affects men. So I've talked about on the show, a member of my foxhole, a very close friend of mine killed himself. Um, and it was one of those, I'll put it to you this way. It didn't seem to be an emotional decision as much as it was an, as an intellectual decision, and I'll leave the details there because you know the details are very very close to the family, and I don't really want to go there. But this was something that was planned out; that there was no stopping it. It wasn't like he w- he got the sads one day and then all of a sudden decided to blow his head off. And I talked about whenever I talked about that on the show, I talked about my own thoughts with suicide, and they were never emotional thoughts as much as they were intellectual thoughts. You know, at, at the times in my in my life where I was at the lowest point of my career, where I felt like I wasn't checking any of the boxes that a real man should check. You know, I was just doing the math in my head. I was just like, well, I'm worth this much money dead because I have this much life insurance compared to what I might be able to make over this period of time and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I never got to the point where I pulled out a pistol and, you know, went, went that far. But I had these kind of deep intellectual discussions with myself. And I know I'm not the only one. Now there are guys that just have the emotional thing. They're in some sort of pit of despair because of addiction or a death in the family or something like that. And they just go right to the emotional response to that. And that has a lot to do with their circumstances and their personality. But just talk to me about, I guess, the the breadth of different circumstances that cause men specifically to look at suicide as this is my ticket to peace. This is my way out.
0: Yeah, well that's a hard thing. Cause I know it's different for everybody. You know, I can only relate on my level. And of course, part of it, you have to look at where I was, you know, when you're 21 years of age, uh, you lost your car, your job, your girlfriend. I mean, that's pretty much your identity. I mean, that's, that is your world. And plus on top of that, uh, an addiction problem uh, as well, uh, you know, it's a crock pot of a big mess. And so, you know, it's, it's, I, I really can only speak from my own experience. And of course, there was that thought process. Uh, you know, th- there was a lot of processes, processes of, is there hope for a change? Is there a way to turn this situation around? And uh, for me, it was stuck in a rut and feeling as if there was no escape. I always liken it to, um, and it, I, it's a difficult analogy, but it's one people relate to. I, I liken it to the people in the World Trade Center towers that we all saw jump from the windows when the smoke was building out the window. Those people didn't want to die, man. I didn't want to die either. I just didn't want to live. And so for them, when they're standing in that window and the flames were licking at their back, the thought process wasn't I want to die. The thought process is I want to escape the pain I'm in now. And I can either stay where I'm at and go through this excruciating pain or I can jump out the window and expedite my death. And that was the case for me, as it was, I believe, the case for many of those people that we watched horrifically jump out of those buildings during 9-11. So, you know, again, I I don't know that you can, you can pigeonhole that. I I think part of it, again, I mentioned earlier, I think part of it is the nature of men. Um, one of the, 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 the characteristics of someone who may be suicidal is isolation. And men are good at this because we don't want to admit we have a problem. We don't want to admit, want to admit that we need help. And me, rather than going to someone and saying, hey, man, I'm struggling. I'm thinking about ending my life. I begin to seclude myself and isolate myself further and further and further. So I think part of that for men is just their genetic makeup. You know, we're posers. We, we camouflage ourselves. We don't, we, we're, we're not emotional beings. We have difficulty expressing or showing our feelings. And that all plays right in to this whole mantra of, suicidal tendencies. I mean, it honestly, regrettably, it's a perfect match when you look at the characteristics of someone who's in the throes of suicidal thinking and the characteristics of, of, of men.
1: Yeah. I I don't think there's anything to, to quibble with there because isolation, I mean, to be honest with you, Jay, there are a lot of men in my life that have deep levels of isolation they're isolated from uh, just relationships in general like from community from all these different things and you can only do so much to encourage that person because you can't literally grab them by the you know the cuff of their shirt and and drag them into community and to be known by people but then it's whenever the people that you do feel like you know still do those things they still do take their lives or something like that that's where it starts getting into to warning signs you mentioned one there i would say with isolation but just uh, not not that long ago sarah wilkinson uh, was on our show Joe. her husband was a navy seal he was in development group and you know had a lot of injuries a lot of brain injuries like a lot of our uh, special operators have and you know he ended up taking his own life and she only at that point could look backwards and see some of the warning signs of a deep level of a problem that kind of came through. And for the rest of her life to a degree, I think she's going to struggle with that. She's going to struggle with what could I have done? And you know, and the, the real answer may be that she could have done absolutely nothing to, to save her husband and as it were. But there are warning signs for people that a lot of us are too distracted to really notice because our, our, we're in our phones or we're in our businesses or we're doing, uh, you know, 10 different other things. But from what you've seen and from what you've experienced? What are some warning signs that people should should look for in their in their people and how should they approach that?
0: Yeah. So before I get to that, I, I, I want to reference something that you, you triggered a thought. Mm-hmm. I, I had a friend uh, talking about how this all plays into to the effect on men. I had a friend of mine and uh, he asked me one night if he could meet me at Taco Bell. And if anybody would be somebody that would recognize warning signs, it's me. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, so we met at Taco Bell and and I knew that he and his wife were having some struggles, but, and he's, he met with me. And I mean, it seemed to be really just very casual. It didn't seem as though there was some major crisis point in any way. And he leaves and the following day hangs himself in the shower. He's found by his children. And there was a lot of guilt there. Cause I'm like, of, of all people that you would think, that would recognize it, it would have been me. And I thought it's just another situation of, hey, we've all got marriage troubles from time to time. We all have struggles. That's married life. So anyway, just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Um, yeah so one of the warning signs I mentioned is, is isolation. I think uh, that, that that plays a key role. I think uh, it can also be sudden tragedy, tragedy or loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems to hold true more so in younger men. Uh, the death of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, a divorce, something of that nature. Um, another one that we seem that we see a lot is um, extreme mood swings. Somebody who normally is very level um, now seems to be very erratic. Someone who's normally very docile now seems to be very high or very low. We also see it in um, an increased use in, let's say, a person. Maybe they're a casual drinker, and now yeah. we see one who begins abusing drugs or alcohol. And you say, with drugs. well, man, I'm talking about even prescription medications. Mm-hmm. So those are just some of the things, I don't know, that's a conclusive list, but those are some of the predominant ones that, that we've seen over the years.
1: Well, one thing that I would add, and I would be curious to see if you would co-sign this. Um, one thing at the end of my interview with Sarah is she was like, if you get the thought that your friend or your family member might be suicidal, you have to ask them. And I remember that, that seems like such simple advice, but for most of us, we're, we're pretty nice people. We don't like to rock the boat. We don't really like to get into other people's business. And so we don't ask those tough questions, right? Like, you know, hey man, are you cheating on your wife? Or hey man, are are you still looking at porn? Like we, we just don't want to do that. We don't want to risk the relational capital. But that even came up for me here recently. I had a friend who lost a child uh, in a tragic accident. And whenever I was talking to him on the phone, I, I made sure to ask that as awkward as it was, And he didn't get mad. He didn't fly off the handle. He was just like, man, I appreciate you asking. And and luckily the answer is no. But for some people, I I feel like that is that, that olive branch or or that hand reaching out to, to rescue them. Do do you feel like that people should do that? They should be that bold and just straight up ask people.
0: Well, before I answer the question, let me say this, because there's a lot of misconceptions uh, about this topic. One of them is, is that, uh, Talking about suicide leads to suicide. Another misconception is, is that people who are considering suicide don't mention or don't give hints. And so now circling back to your question, unequivocally, yes, studies have proven that the greatest, let me repeat, the greatest deterrent to suicide is having someone that you can talk to, an open line of communication. It's the greatest deterrent. And so this thought process that, well, man, we can't talk about it. Or what what if I ask, am I going to be leading them into thinking about something that they weren't already thinking about? Couldn't be further from the truth. And especially again, you know, we're talking about men. Men tend to do better anyway with stuff that's straightforward. And I don't think there could be a better question, not not an accusing way, but I think it's got to be asked more in the arena of suspicion. Uh, curiosity. Hey, man, you know I just want to check. I know I know things have been tough lately. I, I know you've been down. I know you and the wife, you and the job, you and the finances, whatever. And man, have, have you ever given any thought, or have you ever considered anything drastic? Have you ever thought about uh, having suicidal thoughts? I, I don't think there can be anything that can be a better question to ask. And again, uh, talking about social capital, if this is somebody that you have a, a strong relationship with man, they're going to appreciate that you care. They're going to appreciate that you're interested in that you're asking. I wish to God I would have asked my buddy that I just told the story about in Taco Bell, but I didn't.
1: Jay, let's get real grand. Sorry, go ahead.
0: I think he would have told me too.
1: I I think I
0: have asked him, Steve, listen, man, I know things are tough right now at home, but just level with me, brother. Have you ever thought about ending your life? I don't think Steve would have been angry at me. I think Steve would have appreciated me being candid and asking that question.
1: Again, talking that. about
0: is always the best thing.
1: Yeah, I would co-sign that for sure. Well, let's get even more granular then, Jay. So so let's go back to you know your buddy at Taco Bell. Um, and let's say you had asked him that and he said, yes. Let's go back to my conversations with my friend. I ask him that and let's say he says, yes. Then what? Then what do you do? Well,
0: Yeah, there's a few things. So first of all, I want to make sure that that individual knows that I am accessible to them. Now, I I don't want to say I'm accessible if I'm not. I am accessible to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm here. If that means I've got to fly out to you, if I've got to drive out to you, if that means it's at 3 o'clock in the morning, if that means I've got to call in sick, it's got to be – you've got to be that kind of commitment. It's got to be where you are truly – Available to them at, at any and all costs. The second thing that I always do is, is of course, I have a network of people that are godly people that I always encourage and ask them if they would be willing to meet with them. Now, I'm not against psychiatrists or psychologists in any way, and people may have a good connection there. For me, um, I... Try to send them to some people who are in the ministry. I want to make sure that they're getting godly advice, godly counsel. So that may not be somebody else may go to a Christian counselor or have a friend who's a Christian psychiatrist or psychologist. But needless to say that beyond being accessible and at the ready themselves, they need to encourage them to get help. Another thing I would do, again, this kind of depends on the relationship and the proximity, but man, there are several national suicide hotlines that I would even make available. There is numerous materials on social, excuse me, on on, on websites that I would forward to them. So I think the first, the first line of defense, number one, is me. It's knowing I love you. I don't judge you. I'm here for you at any and all costs. Number two is, is This may not just go away. And so we need to seek help. Again, me as a a guy that spent my years uh, as a full-time evangelist, I personally prefer it to be a Christian. And I say counselor. The guys that I send to locally, they're not even counselors. They're preachers. Mm -hmm. Some people may not not agree with that. So that's a second line of defense. The third line of defense is, is, uh, again, whether that be uh, accessibility, getting help, And again, I would even, depending on how the process goes, but I mean, I'm not against eventually going to see your physician and seeing if, like in the case of my wife, if it's a scenario where maybe there is some medical imbalance, chemistry imbalance that needs to be dealt with. But the worst thing you can do is is brush it off. You know, I've seen people over the years go, well, so-and-so is just trying to get attention. Hello? Yeah, they are well, you know, they said they'd be better off if they were no longer living or they didn't have hope. I, I I think they're just wanting people to look their way. Yes, they are. And so whatever you do, don't be dismissive.
1: Obviously don't be dismissive. And one thing that I would tell you as well is if you're going to offer somebody like, Hey, 24 seven, I'm your guy. Like, let, let's make this happen. This is just a practical piece of advice. You have to get buy-in for, from your spouse about that. You need to get permission from your buddy uh, to, to have that discussion with your spouse because. If you're leaving at three o'clock in the morning to drive across town to go be with your buddy, your, your wife needs to be down with that. You know what I mean? Cause that's going to create a whole bunch of problems at home that, you know, guys just, you know, very, very practical advice there. Make sure she's a part of that process because she's going to be the wind beneath your wings. You don't want her to be a weight dragging you back down. You know what I mean? So there's one bit of practical advice, but then beyond that, and, and we'll make this last question of the day. Cause I think this is, is really important. Unfortunately, we don't have more time. The. The need for the church, and I'm I'm using that, you know, I guess colloquially, the capital C church to really allow people that are in their midst and also people that are on their staffs to be very, very frank and very, very upfront about their struggles with mental health or any of those types of things, because I know there are a lot of church leaders that listen to this podcast. I know there are church leaders that have never had mental issues and maybe they look kind of a scant at people that have mental problems and be like, yeah, okay, I, I bet you have a mental problem. And maybe they, they, they do have a tendency to dismiss it. What would be your encouragement if you could speak to the Capital C Church, you know, all at once in terms of how they should approach people within their midst, even up into their, their own staff members about how they should deal with mental health issues?
0: Well, first of all, um, I would say that there needs to be an approach. The church has been so silent on this issue and um, very, very rarely. I mean, occasionally hear of a church doing something on it, but for the most part, the church has been silent. So the church doesn't say anything about it. And I mean, we'll stay on topic for today, but this isn't the only issue that the church doesn't talk about. And so people end up getting secondhand information or wrong information because they can't get it from the very source that they should be able to get it from. So first of all, the church needs to be doing something about it. I mean, this is a worldwide epidemic. People are struggling with it. And there are people struggling with it all within the ranks of their church. But people can't afford to say anything. They're afraid to say anything, especially those that are on staff or leadership positions, because the truth of it is, in some cases, they will be fired. Let's just be real. They will be fired. Because if you were godly and if you were praying, if you were walking with Jesus, you wouldn't have the struggles that you're having. That's just the reality of it. So first of all, they need to come out of the closet on it. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it means different things for different churches. Uh, Maybe it means doing a sermon series on mental health. Maybe it means providing a workshop where victims of suicide that have lost family members are people who are struggling with it, have a safe zone where they can go in and discuss this where it's not people just gossiping about it or or, or spreading rumors around the church. There just needs to be some engagement because quite frankly, there is very little engagement. I thank God there are exceptions to that. I was invited to Northern Ireland. I've been now about six times the largest church in the whole country of Northern Ireland. And the reason they invited me when I initially got the phone call, they said, well, hey, uh, the reason we want you to come is because people are getting frustrated because when they're driving into work in downtown Belfast, it's very disheartening to be going to your job and watching bodies swing in the wind because they're hanging from uh, trees downtown. And so there are exceptions, but I would say the starting place is, is begin to take action. Start those workshops, start a sermon series, start a help group where there can be a safe zone that people can talk about it. Because the truth of it is a lot of people, especially who are believers, they are there are people like me. I wasn't saved when, when, when I attempted suicide. So I, I didn't have that network. But what's sad is, is people who are our believers that should have the network and don't have the network because they can't talk about it.
1: Yeah, I think being able to open up those lines of communication, but also... There are a lot of people, like I kind of get annoyed when people are like, hey, we're gonna do an awareness campaign. Okay, great, now that you've made people aware, now what? So you have to make sure that there is something that is, you have some sort of a scaffolding under your awareness campaign. So guys, if you're gonna be doing a sermon series or an entire Sunday on mental health or something like that, you've gotta have a plan in place for how you're going to go after catching these people. Same thing when I get invited to go speak to a, at a men's event, I'm like, guys, I don't live here. Like I, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna burn it down and I'm gonna walk away. Y'all need to have a plan on how to deal with the ashes. Like you need to have a plan for some of these men that are going to come to you and basically lay their entire life on you because some speaker got up and got them all expired or, you know, inspired, not expired. But it's like that you need to have a plan for that because otherwise some guys are going to fall through the cracks and that's not really what you want for you and your community. But Jay, I really appreciate all your time today. I appreciate uh, the things that we're able to get into. This is not a fun subject matter, but obviously this is a a major through point for you and for your ministry overall. Obviously in the show notes, I'll I'll put, uh, you know, where guys can go and check out your website to see the other stuff that you're doing. But that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest?
0: Man. Um, I'm going to give a plug and people are going to think I'm, it is what it is, man. This is the best podcast, uh, that I've ever been a part of, man. I just love what you're doing. And I'm, I'm this isn't, you know, man, I, I don't even know you. So this isn't, you know, putting air in your tires or anything like that. Uh, I do a lot of this stuff, man, all over the country. And, uh, I just, Man, I don't know from the from the jump, just what you're doing and especially you connecting with men and just the ability. to. there's no fluff here. Um, it's it's I'm telling you, it's not characteristic. I do this stuff all over the country. Matter of fact, I did one here about two weeks ago and I told our press team, I said, don't ever book me those folks again. It was so, <laughs> it was so fake. So listen, man, I'm just telling you right now, uh, anytime you ever want me back for anything, I'm in the answer is yes. And I apologize for being a little late today.
1: Well, no, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you giving me a compliment after my voice cracked, like I'm going through puberty. So it's just like, Hey, you know, guys, even when you have, you make a mistake, you can still get a compliment, but no, I appreciate that edification there. Jay Louder. Thank you so much for coming on a daunted life of man's podcast. Thank you, sir. There you go, guys. Hope you enjoyed my time with Jay Louder. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the one link I've got for you today is a link to Jay's website. That's where you can get to all the stuff Jay and his team are doing. So guys, go there and check that out. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate. To keep more content like this coming your way, just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.